Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace be unto you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. Growing grapes is no small accomplishment. I've tried it, and I wrecked them. And we were just over at some members of my wife's congregation outside of Riverside, Uh, where they have a vineyard, and I was reminded of those years where I tried to grow my own grapes. They have vineyards in their yard on their property, and they bottle their own wine and label their own wine and spirits. And as we walked around out in the vineyard, he reminded me that the vines grow pretty naturally without much attention. But to grow grapes... The produce, to keep them healthy and flourishing and sugary, producing luscious, juicy grapes requires some environmental blessing and it requires some clever pest control. A lot of attention, in fact, is required. As he was telling me all the things he had to do to keep those grapes coming, it exhausted me. He had a strategy. He knew what the conditions would be. There's nurture and care to be given, like watering and pruning. And then above all of that, you need somebody in charge. Someone to tend and work the vineyard. It's true in Napa. It's true in Israel. It's true in Italy. And it's even true in Riverside. Growing grapes is no small accomplishment. Producing grapes is an industry that hasn't changed or evolved much even through the centuries. The owner of the vineyard either is an expert or has had to become an expert or a specialist. And if they won't do it, they have to hire one, a vintner. You see, getting a good yield from your vineyard takes a significant Investment. Any of you who've fought the good fight with a lawn or with a garden, you know the truth of that. It takes investing. When you think about it, the same is true of many things in life. Whether it's running a marathon or friendships or being good at a sport or raising kids or the world of finance and investments, Even the enterprise of being God's church in the world, it takes investment. No yield, no growth, no product. It's discouraging, it's disappointing, and it's frustrating. It's simply not the way it's supposed to be. Now perhaps you'll agree with me that the investments that we make in people are where some of our deepest expectations really show up. We struggle, don't we, to pay for a child's education and upbringing. We help set up a friend for a new business, hoping that good things will happen. We help where needed. We sacrifice for years of music lessons and teams We serve as personal Ubers for our children to sports camps and music camps. 
And why do we do it? Why do we drive ourselves crazy like that? We do it because in the end, we hope to see a product. We hope to see our children grow up to bring something to the table that we call God's world. We hope that they will turn out well and good and productive human beings make us proud. We even hope they'll take care of us in our older years. As my stated goal in life that hangs in my office says, my aim at this point in life is to live long enough to become a problem for my children. I mean, we want this to work out. We want to see our friends' new business venture sail and succeed and produce. We look forward to listening to that beautifully played sonata or that heartfelt song or a well-played sport. And when the investment doesn't play out, it hurts, it disappoints, and we sometimes ponder the possibility of maybe even cutting our losses and getting out of the business. There's this memorable scene in one of the early seasons of Yellowstone. Some of you watching that or have seen it. The adult daughter is sitting on the front porch. And the father, Kevin Costner, is sitting out there with her having a cup of coffee in the early morning. And this black truck is pulling into a, onto the distant dirt road at the property. And she says to him, Look, Daddy, one of the boys is coming by already this morning. And he says, I wonder which cup of disappointment is coming up my driveway right now. Scripture is pretty clear that we're a lot like God in this way. We are always investing in people. Always hoping, always working the turf, always trying to make things happen. The Israelites and the early Christians who encountered the Word of God contained in our powerful readings for this morning, they would have easily recognized that God has always been concerned about people. How they operated, how they functioned, how they related to one another, and how they connected to the world. And through the centuries... From the beginning of time, from the garden, from Adam and Eve, to the time these ten, just ten ways of living were given to the people of God. And then this bold-faced story about God's vineyard. Throughout all of time, God has been concerned about produce. We have a kind of sixth sense in our gut about those Ten Commandments and about that story in the vineyard. You see, God planted people in a vineyard that God made. It's called the world. Our vintner God cared for them and for us and grew them and us, and invested in them, and us. 
and had high hopes and expectations that they and us would produce something. It was and still is the revelation of God's strategy for life in this world. It's a vision, if you will, about how God and people will best operate. How we, as God's people, can get the most out of life and produce the harvest that God dreams of in a world that Christ died to save. And as if to make the vision crystal clear, the story Jesus tells in today's Gospel reading speaks clearly about the tenacity and the will of God. And it's scary. Knowing that what the story teaches is that God will have God's way with the world. Like it or not, help it or not. And the story reminds us of the promise that God may not wait for us to produce. I guess we better get busy then, huh? Thankfully, Scripture also teaches, and human experience confirms this, that God is generous and forgiving and creative and abundantly patient. The greatest evidence of this is that God's people, God's church, we're still around. We're still at it. Somehow, God still believes and trusts and hopes, apparently, that the investment will pay off. We have this marvelous treasure called salvation, which is a gift to us. And we learn from Scripture that to those whom much has been given, much is expected. Not in order to win the prize, not in order to get the deal, but because we got the prize. We get the deal. So what will this fruit look like? What will the product be? I don't think I have to preach that here. I think you know. Isaiah says it will look like justice and righteousness. Micah says it will look like kindness and humility and walking humbly with God in this world. Jesus says it looks like mercy and forgiveness and love and compassion and generosity. I think we know what it's going to look like or should look like. Now, maybe said out loud that we are rather slow bloomers, I'm afraid. God has for centuries invested in us and protected us from pests and nurtured us and cared for us, pruned us when necessary, providing all the things we need for growth and vitality. And as a, in response to all of that, we have been agonizingly slow to produce Any of you remember Dandy Don Meredith? Those early days of Monday night football? 
Howard Cosell. He used to sing when he could tell that the game was over before the time ran out. He used to sing that little ditty, Turn out the lights, the party's over. They say that all good things must end. Turn out the lights, the party's over. (laughs) And it was. It sounds a little like this gospel story that Jesus tells. But it's not quite that simple with God. You see, with God, there's more than discernment and judging. God is not apparently ready to turn the lights out yet, to toss in the towel. But God is anxiously awaiting our activity. You see, as it turns out, we are God's investment strategy. And if we will not be about God's business in God's vineyard of a world, God will move on. God will move forward with purpose and intent. God will not be thwarted by bad grapes or disinterested or lazy workers. The story brings it home very plainly. Do you not think that if God was done with us here at the neighborhood church, or larger yet with the UCC, if we weren't getting anything done, do you think for a moment that God would hesitate to end it right there? To have us just go away? To fold? Move away into irrelevance. Stop existing. There's grace in this gospel also. If we're here. And the grace is this. This remains God's church. I cannot keep this church going. And neither can you. God's church, God's mission in the world belongs to God. And we either participate in it or God will move on. Evidenced by the 4,500 churches last year in American Protestantism that shut their doors for the final time. 4,500 churches closed their doors in America last year. The poet T.S. Eliot said this, There is only the trying. The rest is not our business. Trying. One thing seems very clear. Business as usual is not going to cut it in the world in which we now live and labor. It's a world beyond modernism. It's a world that is post-Christendom. The new product is going to bear the old marks of love and mercy and justice, but they're going to be carried into God's world in new ways. 
And the work is going to be done by whoever will do it. God's not picky. We have to learn from the new kinds of churches that are emerging in Africa and Asia and Latin America where Christianity is exploding. Hundreds of thousands of new Christians every year in those places. We have to learn from those churches. We have to pay attention to new forms and new rituals and new music and strategies that are emerging in our own context and in communities throughout America. This is probably going to be a church where there are fewer ordained leaders and more trained lay leaders. Fewer committees. I know that scares some of you. A fewer committees. That's where we're heading. Where sometimes it seems like the main purpose is to meet. And more and more ministry teams and ministry um, and ministry sort of factions, people drawn together by the same passion, who get together and work something into happening, who create a ministry, get things done. And this new church, I'm predicting, is going to probably cost more than it ever has before. The thriving churches are going to be risk-taking They're going to be highly creative. They're going to be fast-changing where God's acts of love and compassion and works of justice and mercy are not limited to Christians. This fruit is being born in our world today by those who have no religious faith whatsoever. They're doing good things. They're doing what the churches used to do. And I believe God is cheering them on. And so the task for the new church is going to be yoking with people who are also in the world doing great things. They'll be our new partners in ministry. They don't even know it. The one who created us, the one who loved us, the one who saved us, has planted a vineyard in a fertile field. God will not allow it to die because God has far too much invested in it. The question remains, what will be produced? When? By whom? And how long will God wait? That kind of gets your attention, doesn't it? Amen. Glory be to you, Heavenly Father, through Christ our Lord, who with the Holy Spirit reigns eternally, always God without end. Amen.